0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. Today's episode is part one of my two-part interview with Dr. Miriam Zilberglate, otherwise known as Dr. Z. Now, Dr. Z is a virtual well-being MD. She's an educator, clearly a physician, an entrepreneur, and she is the best-selling author of an amazing book, and I can't wait for you guys to meet her. So check it out right now. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people, and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Z, a mother, a physician, a woman, an entrepreneur, and a book author. Uh, this is the Relationship and Revenue Book.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, as always. Thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that introduction, I have the world renowned Dr. Z. Dr. Z, how are you today?
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for for the invitation.
0: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And as you heard her mention earlier, she is a three-time board certified physician. Am I getting that right?
1: Yes. Three-time. Internal medicine, geriatrics, and obesity medicine.
0: Mm, Love that. (laughs) Okay. Three times. Okay. But in addition to being a physician, she's also a virtual well-being MD. You're hearing that right, folks. You want to connect with Dr. Z, you can virtually, like she and I are doing right now, which is pretty cool. (laughs) She is an educator. She is an entrepreneur, and we're going to dig into that here in just a little bit. She is the author of the best-selling book. I want to make sure I get the title right here, Dr. Z. The 3G Cycle of Life, The Secrets of Achieving Joy, Meaning, and Well-Being. yes (laughs) yes <laughs> and she has two other titles now she mentioned them but i think she holds most dear and those are mom and wife
1: yes and, and daughter. i daughter i need to add yes. the daughter there too
0: <laughs> daughter that's right human <laughs> <laughs> okay so dr z do us a favor take us back in time now was it always ever since you couldn't remember even as a young girl was it always your desire to become a physician Never. <laughs> okay. So how did that even come about?
1: So the story is very funny. Uh, I have been always uh, dreaming about helping people. Well, that was my dream. I was five, six, seven, and I was dreaming about changing the world. Mm. Um, I never thought that it would be as a physician because the truth is that I used to faint in front, in front of blood, and I am still terrified as needles. Uh, yes. So... That was not even a possibility. So with time, I got to the conclusion that I should be a psychologist. But my best friend, since we were three years old, was going to medical school. And we were around 14 uh, when we were planning already to apply, 14, 15, to apply to the universities, right? What mm. we call college here. And she convinced me that if I will be a psychologist, better to be a psychiatrist. So we will go together, mm. you know, to get the training. and. I yeah. will get a white coat, I will be called doctor and, and I will get more money. And it sounds fabulous, right? Uh, sure. To be sincere, I didn't know that I would have to see blood uh, be in a psychiatry. So I was clueless. <laughs> she never went to medical school. Uh, wow. She, she came before. And um, I fight so much against my parents to convince them that I never had the, the opportunity or, I mean, I, I, I mean. They already were, they were paying for it. So I I was not able to tell them that I changed my mind. So I went to medical school. uh, Mm. Thank God, because that's the best decision that I could (laughs) have.
0: Very cool. Okay. Now, was that medical school? Was that in Beirut?
1: In Beirut. I went to medical school there. And then I worked for 10 years for the Navy in my country uh, before I came to the U.S.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So you worked in the Navy. In Peru,
1: yes, as a physician. Wow.
0: Okay, yes. now was that like on a base, or was that on a ship, or?
1: It was in a in the hospital, in the hospital for uh, veterans. Um yeah. I mean, it was the hospital for all the navy people. Um, but mm. I, my specialty as a geriatrician, I was in the area of the of the veterans, the elderly mm. patients. So yes, um, it was. Uh, I mean, I loved the experience. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's terrific because that's, that's one thing that those folks, they do so, and I don't care which country it's for. They do so much to help those of us who are on the receiving end of the protection that they provide. And unfortunately, I think there are many things that fail them as they get older. And I'm glad you were there on the front lines to help them with some of those things that typically they get let down by.
1: It was an honor and it was very, I, I feel like I had the opportunity to also learn about discipline respect, uh, and respect and those are things that I appreciate tremendously. For me, ethics, you know, um, and values are really the, 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 pillars of who you are as a person and as a profession. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that I am grateful that I had the opportunity to see that first firsthand. And when I came to this country, even before I decided to really move here, I, I used to come to visit my sister as my case shows. I, I am not someone that can sit in front of the TV for a month. So I used to volunteer here. Um, and who, who will say, but they ended working at the VA in Miami uh, no. as a volunteer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, for some reason, and when I moved here and I trained, I trained at the BA in Miami to become a geriatrician and internal lazy doctor. So, yeah, I have a strong connection. Uh, even nobody in my family has been part of the military, uh, family. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I have, again, it's a lot of respect for discipline and order. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is a feeling of, being part of a family, even if you don't have a blood relationship, right? Oh, yeah. And that for me has a, a, an enormous value.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, there's, I mean, now, did you ever see combat at all?
1: No, never.
0: No. Well, I have several friends who have. And what they tell me, because I was not in the military, and what they tell me is when you go through things like that together, it bonds you in a way that nothing else does, not even family. It's just it's yes. it's different. And you you can't truly explain it to someone who's never been through it. I mean, you can do your best, but the other person can't really understand it.
1: And we say the same in medicine. It's very funny because I heard that from the military, my military friends. Right. But we repeat that in medicine and mm-hmm. we say uh, not necessarily the one that we do right now. We, we are more and more separated in medicine. We are so busy that we don't create relationship between us anymore. But the way that I train, uh, you remember, I have friends for 30 years right now that I am still in touch with. And we remember the days where we didn't sleep, right, together and we didn't have a uh, the technology on those days to have a ventilator and we were really pushing the angle to, to keep someone alive right taking turns right. or doing a dialysis like with bugs and moving the bags and, mm-hmm. and trying to save lives right or crying because do you remember the guy that died and, and we've started again right that doesn't matter Uh, how much i want to share those stories with others Mm -hmm. they cannot feel it and my friends from medical school they are my family uh they, they they are my brothers and my sisters that that's how we feel
0: for sure for sure i get that now since you brought it up i've always wanted to ask about this and because and it will make sense because you have been practicing medicine what i will call the old way you started with that and you had to transition to some of the newer ways. So let me ask you this. Which is your preference? Forget the fact that you're a virtual MD. Let's leave that part of it out of it right now. Of course. Because um, you just got through mentioning about going through these your version of war stories with other physicians as well as you know, other nurses and that sort of thing. You know, yeah. having to be hands on doing things, you know, making things work, making somebody's beat for them and changing out the bags and all that sort of thing. So do you have a preference? Which way did you like better?
1: Uh, I like the old fashioned <laughs> much better, much better. Um, and, and it's not that I don't think that there is a space for what I am doing now or for what, you know. We have to be grateful that we have enough technology and opportunities uh to save lives in different ways, uh, things that we didn't have in the past. But what I love about the old type of medicine, to be sincere, is the reason why I created uh virtual well-being MD. And uh so I am replicating my old fashioned just using Modern medicine, so I am merging both. And I will tell you what is what I miss. I miss human contact. And yes, the computer may look like, you know, cold for some people, For me, it is not. For me, it's a way that I communicate with my parents in Peru every day. For me, it's a way that I created a lot of friendships and that today I am in the house or in the car, who knows, in the cell phone of of many others, right? Um, And for me, it's a way that I relate to patients long-term and with good quality. I have been restricted by the... A healthcare system for the last probably six years when uh, my appointments started with 45 minutes and suddenly were 15 minutes, if not 10. And I was almost saying hello and bye at the same time while typing in a computer. So you can be close to people and not be present at the same time. And you can be there and ignore the needs and don't be empathetic. So I created this virtual system uh, that is my system now, right, my <laughs> way to recover joy in medicine, to recover control so I can be the physician that I want to be and to offer to others the type of care, respect, kindness, and I'll say quality medicine that I believe everybody deserves. 15 minutes will not solve problems, except that you have a cold and you are sneezing and that's, you know, that's the reason for your appointment. But chronic chronic medical conditions that are right now, the big epidemics in this country, right? Cardiovascular or cardiometabolic disease, the cause number one of them, are preventable, are treatable. We should not be dying of high blood pressure or diabetes, not today. We should right. not be suffering of obesity. We should not be dying of depression or anxiety or any other mental health condition. And this happens because the healthcare system is failing patients and failing mm-hmm. doctors and healthcare care workers, too. Right.
0: Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm
1: sorry for my passion on these no, no. don't ever apologize is. for your passion. <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. Don't <laughs> apologize for that. We need more <laughs> of that, not less. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No. Um, <clears throat> You know, I have I have long believed that uh, health care. OK, let me back up. When I was a child, when we went to the doctor, my mom would pay the doctor directly. There were there insurance didn't exist. But I'm yeah. I'm 53 years old. Uh, insurance was not a thing when I was a child. I, know. I have no idea when it came about. I'm sure it was like in the 80s sometime. But
1: longer, I believe in Peru, we started with insurance just before I was coming here. So it's around 10 years ago only. Uh, wow. And before we used to practice, like you say, without the mm-hmm. insurance, I remember doing what your doctor used to do. I mm-hmm. would go to the houses of fancy people mm-hmm. and they would pay me $10 and I will go and drive to the houses of very, mm-hmm. you know, poor people, and they will not only not pay me, but I will trust all the medications that the laboratories, you know, the pharmaceuticals will give me mm-hmm. as a compliment, and I will take them with me for them. So yeah. I will be playing Robin Hood in the shelter, and that was so satisfactory. It was never... vitamin for the show.
0: <laughs> oh, sure, sure. You know, and I can remember like uh, it I couldn't tell you, I know my mom told me at one time how much they paid, like when I was born in the hospital, but I mean, they paid it out of pocket. Yeah. It. it I mean, yeah, it, they felt it a little bit, but not, you know, some of these ridiculous things and what they cost now. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Um,
1: and Big part doesn't go to, I'm sorry, Judd, to, to, to interrupt. No, this, please. Uh, beer- Big part doesn't go to the doctor, and that's what what no. patients, they don't understand, is um, this gets to the hospital, the CEOs, even the managers. So we are forced to click buttons in the EMRs, right, the, the electronic records, to satisfy metrics that truly do not benefit the patient. I am telling you, it's Oh, it's I believe it. Right? I do. Right? And these metrics, they don't give me more money. They help <laughs> to compensate the manager. So you have a manager with all the respect, without any medical education, and probably not even a business education or anything, you know. And and they come and they torture you. How could you dare to spend ten more minutes with the patient? Because the patient is dying. I just told him that has Terminal disease, and it was trying. So, why will we not do that? But you get penalized. Um, and it's very hard to work uh, in that environment when yeah. everything is driven by productivity, not by real quality. Uh, and let me tell you, when you see the statistics of how many healthcare workers are within their jobs, yeah. it's terrifying. But when you see the amount of physicians or nurses that die, are dying by suicide, and this is before COVID, four hundred physicians die by suicide yearly in this country before wow. COVID. We'll see what happens now with the new, you know, the, the new statistics. Sixty-five uh, percent suffer from burnout. Thirty mm-hmm. percent have clinical obvious, you know, depression. Another thirty has. Depression symptoms symptoms, uh, it's terrifying. And, and what happens is that the public and the, the politicians and the leaders, they don't understand that uh, this is worse than how it looks. And, and if you don't mind, I will give an example. Please. When you go to the emergency, if 65% of doctors or healthcare workers are depressed, so a coin will give you more opportunities to have a doctor that is 100% than really going to the markets, (laughs) right? So and being burned out means that not only that you are exhausted, but that you are cynical, that you really don't care. And the third part is that you are performing before below average. Mm. So you so you now have A nurse or a physician or many of them deciding if you need surgery or not, or cutting your brain to remove a tumor or Mm. having your baby, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and all of that is under the circumstances of being exhausted, not caring too much about you and performing below average. Is that it's not a public health emergency? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) No clue what it is. Uh, Mm. because we use the healthcare system again and again every
0: day oh yeah oh my goodness yes uh i'm starting to get a better understanding of why some of my friends who entered medicine later as soon as they finished medical school they set up shop as a concierge doctors they never they didn't go the hospital route they didn't go with some large medical practice their own practice and they do it their way now Some of them, when they started concierge, it was the way you described, and that was going to different houses. Mm -hmm. And some of them have gone, have changed, and now they do this. They do virtual. Um, I mean, we'll do face-to-face if it's necessary. But um, let me ask you this, because I never can get a straight answer from these guys, so maybe you can help me understand. When you are a virtual physician... Can you only see patients in your immediate area? Can you see them from anywhere in the world?
1: It's a very good question, and I am going through that exactly. I am navigating the the regulations. To be sincere, you will see a lot of violations, and I would love to introduce you to the lawyer that I am working with uh, because she has been opening my eyes to understand uh, uh, what is happening. So suddenly there is... uh, this is a very gray area. Every state in the United States has different type of regulations. So you really, I mean, in, in my case, I practice in Florida because I have okay. my license in Florida. I should not be practicing in the majority of other states, with some exceptions that depend on the case and if the patient is referred to me. So each state is a different situation, right? So in theory, no, we should not be practicing except that we apply for full license in other states. So you have to invest a lot of money and a lot of time. This could take uh, three, four months to a year for each state, right? So we are limited, which is disturbing because I know about health coaches and nothing against them, I respect what they do and I'm glad that they have this opportunity, um, doing or offering care and medical suggestions without being physicians, but around all the country, but physicians, we are limited to where we have the license. That's number one. Number two is, uh, many are seeing patients around (laughs) and if nobody got you, I mean, you are okay, but, uh. I just feel like uh, transparency is something that is really um, lacking in the healthcare system and probably in many other systems. Mm-hmm. And I decided that this was a, a work with my, my lawyer to make sure that we keep every regulation. You know, we understand it and we follow it and, and we adapt to that. Uh, to make sure that the patients receive really good care. Medicine goes beyond selecting that good medication or being kind with a patient. I believe that you need to be fully ethical in what you are doing or fully transparent in what you are doing. And that's the the way to demonstrate that you really care and that you really will do what is best, right? Uh, And that's what we are doing. So I hope that answers the question. It it, it does, it does.
0: Yeah. Yeah you know i i find it fascinating when i talk to other physicians because not only do most physicians have at least one specialty you happen to have 3 yeah. <laughs> but um even within those specialties i would say that there are some even some more honing in on the craft uh, for an example um i have a friend who is a classically trained medical doctor and practiced that way for a while and made a decision about 10 years ago, I think, to become more of a naturopath. Mm-hmm. That's the direction he decided to go with his practice. And I mean, and he was very successful before, but oh my gosh, he, he's had to hire. I mean, he has docs and it's all virtual too. Everything he does is virtual. And so yeah. the way he has kind of figured out the challenges you were just talking about, He's starting as he's getting people from other states that are wanting to be yes. his patients, he's getting docs in those states to be part of the practice, and that's how they're working through those issues
1: yes and 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 that's the beauty right now of my position as an entrepreneur right as a i I feel uh, satisfied and accomplished as a physician, and I feel very silly. <laughs> I'm not a entrepreneur, right? Because that's that's not natural for me, and that's not what I have been preparing all my life for. So right now, I need to develop new skills. I'm I'm, I'm having the support of, of of different people that I trust that are helping me to get trained. I'm right now with uh, actually uh, um, a training. I am getting certified as a as a well-being. Uh, chief well-being officer to understand the the, the components of, you know, organizations and, and, and get a little more into the administrative aspects of things because being a good doctor doesn't make you a good entrepreneur person or business person or administrator oh. or nothing, right? <laughs> that you know? I'm assuming
0: they don't teach you that in medical school.
1: Absolutely, no. <laughs> and, and no, I, I, let me tell you, uh, uh, I, i will be embarrassed but who cares i uh, i just recently was able to scan my first paycheck uh with the phone and my husband was coaching me through the process and i was so excited right good I, for you yeah i, I don't care about money and i i understand that that may sound very uh atypical but uh, my bank account with everything that I made in Peru is still in Peru, and is with my parents. Uh, I don't do anything for money. I understand the value of money. I understand that you need it for so many good reasons, even to build up a, a business, right, and be able mm-hmm. to help others. To be, and, and finally, I I understood that even to be altruistic, you you need to be philanthropic. You need to make money and be stable so you can help others. However, uh, I didn't go to medicine for the money. I, 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 for me, my motivation really is to educate, to help. That's what keeps me alive. The other is, you know, the the need, right? As a human, that all of us we have, and um, and I feel that that's something that helps me tremendously because I am not running after the money. I am running after my own happiness, my joy, the, the, the feeling of I am proud of myself. Uh, and I, I, I hope the money will come too, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I feel in a better place because of my purpose. Me, my purpose is not to be a millionaire. My purpose is to help.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. You know, I I say often on the show, I, I make a distinction. Uh, too many people equate the word happiness with the word joy and they're yeah. actually they are not the same thing uh, they are no <laughs> if you if you do even just a little bit of research on the background of of the word of, of each of the words happiness obviously shortened to happy uh but happiness is actually happenstance which means whatever's going on in my life that determines whether or not i'm happy joy on the other hand is an active choice to be it's not even fair to call it to be in a state of positivity. That's not even a strong enough word. It's just to be in awe and filled with gratitude no matter what's going on. Even the bad stuff that happens. You can live in a state of joy when going through the worst pain of your life.
1: I will tell you a story about this, John. It's so funny. I am just translating my book to a sponge. You will never believe. Hey, I'm it glad before, you did that. I was good. Before I started this conversation with you, I was actually translating or reviewing the translation of the happiness versus joy chapter. Mm. And that chapter was one of the most painful for me because my deadline, when I was writing it in English, uh, right before the the publishing, the initial publishing, my deadline was, let's say for this weekend, and my mom was going through uh, a severe medical condition that week. And I was struggling, how do I write the chapter of happiness when I am miserable, right? right. Uh, absolutely miserable. I was sitting there and crying and I will have to write about happiness. So uh, actually I tell the story in the chapter. I explain that. And um, I make the distinction, right, that you are saying, right, happiness, you may be Miserable, but you can still have joy, right? And you can still have this, I don't know, this calm inside of your heart and this purpose and mission, right? And the meaning of what what is your life about uh, while you are having episodes of difficult times or challenges or, or, or suffering, right? And, and that is very important to understand that we can still keep the joy even when we suffer, and we should use that joy, we should go back to that joy that is shining right inside of us mm. to help us to go out of that hole, right? Or to remind us that yes, today is dark, but tomorrow there will be sun again and, and mm-hmm. life will be shining. Right? So sure. it's so so interesting that serendipity that
0: <laughs> we are
1: talking about this today when I am going to that chapter.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh I did I don't believe that happened by accident at all. Not even a little bit. You know, it's 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 interesting that we're talking about this part because I can think of several occasions in my life where others outside of my close sphere somehow had knowledge of challenges that I was going through. And more than once I'd had people ask me, You are you're going through something, right? Well, you're not acting like You're going through something. So basically you want to know how do you do it? That's that's what they want to know. How do you do it? And you know, that's where the conversation about joy comes up. But I'll take it a step further. I know the source of my joy. So I know where that comes from. Um, and I don't mind sharing it. It's not something I hide on the show. I I happen to be a a Christ follower, a Christian, a Jesus follower, whatever you want to say. It's it's my faith. That's how I get through stuff. I I could not otherwise. I, just, I know it. it. It's beyond my capability as a human being to get through some of the stuff I've been through. If I didn't have that, I'd be lost And, on many I, levels. Will,
1: and I will explain this with a little of science, if you don't mind. Let Please me, do. Let me put yeah. a name to all this. So if you go through my book, there's a chapter that I actually, I love. It's one of my favorites. I, I wrote it with my sister, who is a positive mm-hmm. psychologist. And when I was exploring burnout, one day she told me this looks like PTSD and hmm. I told her, oh yes, actually it's trauma, right? And she told me, and I was asking, so how do we solve burnout? And she told me with PTG and I am like, okay, that one, I don't know. It. Yeah. So PTG is actually something that was created in positive psychology. And what, what it means is post-traumatic growth, right? And comes with this idea that any of us in our life, we will have these downs right and trauma have different colors and different flavors for me it could be uh, I don't know changing my job changing the country where I live having cancer diabetes for for someone that plays soccer may be having a problem in the knee right and, yeah. and, and they cannot play professional soccer anymore so so it really depends right on our perspective but this down is normal it's part of grief right it's part of trauma. Some people will stay there and you will have this long trauma, depression, post-traumatic stress, etc. Some people will recover and we will call that resilience, right? Now we are in our level, we mm-hmm. come back to trauma, uh, which many will celebrate, right? And I, I was one of them, hey, I am resilient. But the traumatic growth is even better because not only that you are able to go back to your baseline. Mm-hmm. But then you keep growing. And that mm-hmm. happens because you learn from these challenges. Yeah. You develop new skills. And sometimes you ask for help, right? Also to develop it, not necessarily you by yourself. And you get to a different level. What you find in this different, you know, this better version of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: the reason why I am, uh, I am talking about this. Uh, when, when I talk about you is that there are some, ingredients that people use to get there and one of them, in your case, spirituality, right? For some is having other people, for some is learning more about life and having more appreciation, but spirituality is considered one of the fundamental ingredients uh, for going to that level and what happened with someone that is a PTG, uh, which I... I love is that they become role models for others and they mm. become people that will start mentoring and helping others. It's like a better dimension. Right? Mm. You're not, oh. um, and probably that's what you are reflecting, right? Post-traumatic growth. And, and that's, that's beautiful.
0: Sure. You know, the, I, I say it this way. Um, I refer to it as discovering your power in P3. And so it starts with pain. It absolutely starts with pain. I mean, if somebody wants to get to their purpose, I believe it starts with the most painful thing you've ever been through in your life. However, there's a caveat. It's not just about the pain. You gotta be willing to work through the pain to get to the other side because that's where the purpose is. If you pretend it's not there, if you ignore it, you try to circumvent it, you won't get there because that pain is still gonna be there. It's still gonna be, it may be dulled for a variety of reasons, but it's still going to be there. And the thing about pain is if you don't deal with it, when it comes back, it's louder and stronger than it was before. Yeah. So it's better to just deal with it early yes. on. Let's <laughs> just let's work through this so we can get to the purpose. And ultimately, once you discover what your purpose is, it helps lay a foundation for your platform.
1: Absolutely. Pain purpose
0: platform. Those.
1: That is so funny because you have your PG and I have my 3G, right? So. M-hmm. I- I do goal, set your goal, Mm -hmm. use your grit, and then grow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in some way, they are very parallel, right? They they go together. And I agree with you, right? Pain or challenges can be used by people as uh, situations that help you to victimize yourself or that Mm -hmm. help you to grow. And that is your decision. We decide Mm -hmm. if we are victims or we decide if we keep learning and growing. And I'm not saying that uh, and I don't want to be minimize uh the pain. Uh right. I have been there, I have witnessed it, right? As a physician after more than twenty years of practicing and another ten years of, of being in medical school and, and getting training, you can imagine that I saw more than what I was Prepared to, uh, in many cases, and and today uh, I still cry for patience. Believe me, uh, I still have that pain uh, inside of me, not not as much as before. I I can't Uh control it better, but but pain exists and people suffer and there are moments that are unfair and that we will not be able to justify or understand. But still then, if we cannot go over those situations by ourselves, it's a time to ask for help. We yes. should not suffer alone. We should not suffer. We should find ways to, you know, to keep going uh, and to achieve our dreams, not just be witnesses of our own horror movie, right? Uh, and I say that in, in, in my book too, right? I, I just, I don't want to be the witness. I, I want to be the principal actor of my,
0: my right. life. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, but
1: again, we don't need, we should not minimize the pain and we should not min, minimize the, the victim situations because really there's cases that are traumatic and that they are, you know, unacceptable in so many levels.
0: Sure, sure. You know, this kind of hit me while you were talking, and I wanted to throw it out there to you. Uh, hopefully, as an encouragement, this is how it's meant. Don't be afraid to cry with your patient.
1: I am not. Sengok. <laughs> not anymore. Before yes, well,
0: because I've never seen a physician do that ever. They never.
1: Well, I, I received something. Right. Some, somehow you're supposed to
0: supposedly lose authority or or whatever term you want to use with it that that somehow it makes you less when you do that i think it's the opposite it's because people can relate to you that's the reason that people listen to any speaker who has anything to say it's it's almost never the actual content of what they say it's the stories that they can relate to that's what they people remember stories but it's because they can see themselves in the story. They can relate to the story. If you cry with a patient that's having a hard time, that's not a bad thing. I I have a friend who refers to it as the ministry of tears. <laughs> that's that's what he calls it. It's like a word doesn't have to be said if you just cry together. You shared a moment that no one else ever got to share with that person. Just you. What a gift. So powerful.
1: Yes. What you're saying is so powerful, right? And and should not happen only with crime per se or with doctors, Uh, just sharing emotions, right? Being real, being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We have been taught, uh, and not only amazing, fundamentally amazing, but in general, we need to look like we are leaders. We need to look like we are strong. We don't need soul. We don't need to ask questions. We don't need, we don't. sleep, you know, we don't
0: pee, uh, so
1: many things that we don't do, especially in marriage, you know, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth is that we are humans like anyone else, and you don't want to have a robot as your doctor, as your coach, as your psychologist, as your teacher, as your manager or whatever, right? You want to have a human that will be able to empathize with you and that will be able to even take it to the next level, right? This To have Mm -hmm. compassion for you. And vice versa. And I will tell you yeah. something. If you will ask me today, what is my superpower? I will tell you vulnerability. Mm. And, and I know that it's contradictory, right? Because vulnerability is actually kind of the opposite of being powerful, if you like to say. But I discovered that the day that I start to be less worried about how strong I look for others, and I started to be more neat, right? Mm-hmm. Not only that I remove a backpack from my shoulders because I didn't have to use a mask every day in front of my residents, my colleagues, my, my, my patients, but what I created were real deep connections. And I also gave others the opportunity to be human and to be vulnerable too. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it's uncomfortable at, at the first, right? And <laughs> and <laughs> you feel like emotionally naked. It's a very weird yeah. <laughs> situation, right? But when you see that others come later and, and they tell you like, Hey, I, I saw that you were going through this. And do you mind if I sit here? Because I'm going through something similar. Do you mind if I share? Would you like to help me? Uh, you discover that it was worth it. Uh, so my power is my vulnerability, uh, as precious as it sounds.
0: <laughs> uh, that's not crazy to me at all. Now, had you said that to me 10 years ago? Maybe. Maybe I would have <laughs> thought that. I don't think that today. You know, um, you started talking about leaders a moment ago. You know, that's that's a subject. That's something that I study a lot. I study a lot on leadership. and. What I have discovered and what I've known most of my adult life as leadership is not. Is not leadership at all. It's yeah. heavy-handed, um, overbearing, micromanaging is, is what that is. It has nothing to do with leadership. And truthfully, most leadership, nah, let me back up. Leadership doesn't have anything to do with a title. It's not about that.
1: I agree.
0: Some of the best leaders I've ever met, Dr. Z, had no title.
1: Totally Totally or-
0: some of the most skilled leaders i've ever met were nowhere near the top of the ladder they were actually toward the bottom but they were extremely skilled at leading parallel or horizontally but they also knew how to lead up unfortunately there aren't a lot of people who know how to do that leading up is a heck of a skill thanks for tuning in to part one of my interview with dr z I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, my guess is you would love to check out the rest of it or part two. Well, lucky for you, you can do that if you continue on right now. So enjoy part two of my interview with Dr. Z after you finish this one. See you guys later. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening, and remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.